0: When I was a kid, I, um, I remember going to burger dairy stores and one of the things that they had at these little, kind of like they were 7-Elevens before 7-Elevens in northern Indiana, they had these uh, round sugar cookies that had yellow frosting and that iconic smiley face from the 1960s. Now, I I was a very bright color, of course, but I loved those cookies and would beg my grandparents and parents whenever we were stopping by a burger dairy store to get a gallon of milk or a loaf of bread for one of those cookies. There's something that just grabs you about the simplicity of that smile that kind of represents happiness. In 1963, the State Mutual Assurance Company of Worcester, Massachusetts, Uh, they acquired another company in Ohio, and when the two companies merged, the morale of all the employees went down. Their customer service was struggling on the phone and in person, and they were having a hard time. So the executives of the State Mutual Assurance Company, they sought a local graphic artist who would help provide some sort of a pin that all their employees could wear that would lift their spirits, and so they found Harvey Ball, and in about... um, Uh, 10 minutes, Harvey Ball created that smiley face. They paid him $45. Neither he nor the company copyrighted or or secured the rights to that image. And uh, they did put that on their employees with these pins. And it did lift the spirits and the morale of the employees of the company And they began to sell them by the thousands. And 10 years later, in 1973, it's estimated that they had distributed 50 million of those buttons. And that image had spread everywhere, even to northern Indiana, to the Burger Dairy stores, where I'd enjoy those cookies. But that image is something very simple that says a lot about happiness. And it's become kind of the emblem or the symbol for happiness in our world. I want to talk today again from where Pastor Brian has been teaching from the book of James. He's done a phenomenal job in these opening paragraphs. So We're going to look at another paragraph in James chapter 1. If you want to open your Bibles there, if you want to go there on a mobile device and use a a mobile app, a Bible app, we're going to be looking at James 1 verses 21 through 25, and we're going to talk about happy people. Happy people. Now, in our world, there's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of discontentedness. But we as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, should be people who have great satisfaction, joy, and happiness in life. We should be happy people no matter what's going on in the world around us. We'll look at these verses here in James chapter 1. Let's begin with verse 21, James chapter 1. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law gives freedom, which is the word of God, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. They will be blessed in what they do. I want to just take that final phrase of that paragraph that's written by the half brother, earthly half brother of Jesus, James, who was the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And I want us to understand that James is echoing in this use of blessed. What Jesus echoed in the Sermon on the Mount by using this same original word, the same Greek word that we translate as blessed, James is echoing what Jesus did. Now, in verse 12, we came across this word blessed. It talked about how we are blessed when we endure trials and we'll receive the crown of life ultimately. And uh, Pastor Brian Howard pointed out that... It's important for us, when we see that we're blessed to stop because this is how God is saying to us we can find satisfaction in life. So they will be blessed when they do, when they do what is said in these earlier verses. Now, I want to talk about happy people. And I know that in Christianity, sometimes we say, you know, what we're really going for is joy, not happiness, because happiness is, is based on your circumstances and joy is rooted in your relationship with Christ. And I understand that distinction. But this word blessed is a much more overarching word that speaks of a simple but profound happiness and satisfaction. And I love how this relationship between joy and the wrong kind of happiness and this basic happiness we're to have as God's children is defined and described in a book by Randy Alcorn called Happiness happiness. It's quite a theological look at what it means to have our joy, our happiness in the Lord, and how this word blessed is not a bad word, and the word happiness is not a bad word. God wants us to be happy people, and James tells us one of the significant ways in which we enjoy the happiness God wants for us as his followers. I want us to see in James 1, uh, uh, 21 to 25 today, a couple of things. First, that happy people are serious people when it comes to how they live their lives. Happy people are not just floating along, denying the realities of the world, the tensions in our country, denying the, the, the moral drift of our nation. It's, it, they're not just silly people, frivolous people. Happy people are serious people when it comes to how they live their lives. Secondly, happy people reject the lie that says living life our way is more satisfying than living life God's way. They reject the lie that says living however I wanna live according to my views, my truth, living it out how I think, that's where deep satisfaction, joy, and contentment in life is. That's fulfillment. That's a lie. You know where that lie started? It started in the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve, gave them the beautiful garden, let them enjoy everything in it. There was one tree. He said, don't eat of that tree. Everything else you can enjoy, don't eat of that tree. You'll know death because in eating that, you'll disobey me. He gave them a choice. Satan came along and he said, God's holding back on you. He's keeping back from you his very best. And that tree he says you shouldn't eat from, that tree is really going to make you satisfied, that tree is gonna make you like God and that's what you really need. So they bought the lie, that living their lives the way they wanted to live them according to what Satan had tempted them with would bring them more satisfaction than living life the way God told them to live it and intended them to live it. And that lie continues today, whether it has to do with lust or greed or pride, the roots of sin in our world, We buy into that lie and believe that this will bring us greater satisfaction, whatever it is, more than living the way the God who designed us and knows what will bring us joy has for us. Happy people reject the lie that says living life our way is more satisfying than living life God's way. And... Then I want us just to take a moment here to understand what James is saying in this paragraph about how we live our lives in relationship to God. Happy people, there are two things that are true to them. The first is this. Happy people are serious about their own sin. Happy people are serious about their own sin. Notice what I said, their own sin, <laughs> Now, Christianity can get caught up and be serious about the sins of the world, the sins of the community, the sins of this. We have political views, we get engaged, and we say, These are the problems, and we're pointing it out. And then, constantly, time after time, we discover that a lot of the people who are standing up for morality, even in the name of Jesus, haven't been taking care of their own lives and watching out what's creeping into their own lives. Happy people are serious about their own sin, not the person down the row from them, not the other individual. Notice the first part of verse 21. Verse 21 says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. It begins with therefore. So that tells us he's following up on something. What is he following up on? Well, as we heard last week, Brian taught from the verses prior to this, where we're told we're to be quick to listen, slow to anger, slow to speak. And then it said, Because these things thwart the righteousness of God being developed in you. So there are things that stop us from growing and becoming like Jesus so that others can see the salt and light of us living and loving like Jesus in a the world. There are things that can interrupt what God wants for us in our spiritual growth. And so he says, therefore, you gotta get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. The concept here of get rid of is, is the idea of taking clothes off, old, dirty clothes off, and putting them down. Paul uses this word in writing to the Colossians and to the Ephesians, to those groups of people and the churches in their cities. He says, you're to put off the old man, the sin and the evil, and you're to put on the righteousness of Christ. And so James is saying, if we want to pursue what God has for us in his righteousness, if we really want to live and love like Jesus, we've got to put these things off. And by the way, this is a a tense that's used. It has the idea of put it off with no intention of putting it on again. You get rid of it. You remove it. And then notice he says, all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Now moral filth, the word for moral filth in the original is only used here in James 1.21. It has the idea of just a speck of dirt getting in and contaminating something. So it's the smallest of things that can contaminate our lives. We're to put off those things. Then he says, and the evil that is so prevalent. Now this is a much broader category. It's, It's really just painting a broad brush of any wickedness and evil. I love the original word here in Greek. It's the word kakos. He's saying you get rid of little specks and then you get rid of all the caca. You get rid of it. Remove it from your life. And so he's, he's trying to make us understand that the evil in our world is very prevalent and it can very easily sneak into your own life. We've got to get rid of it. We've got to get serious about our own sin. Well, how do we do that? Step number one is you've got to see sin as sin. You got to see sin as sin. More and more today, what God calls sin, we call good. I loved how Brian made that distinction a few weeks ago when he talked about the world of flesh and the devil and how they try to redefine sin in our lives when we're tempted. We've got to see sin as sin. Often we determine our sin by uh, comparing ourselves to the world. Well, we're not making headlines like this, and we're not like these people, and so we're not that bad. Or we even compare ourselves to each other, and the standard is, well, I don't have that kind of greed in my life like that person in my small group, or I don't wrestle with lust like that person does, so I'm pretty good. The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 10 12 that when we compare ourselves among ourselves and compare ourselves by ourselves, we're foolish, we're not wise. We've got to see sin as sin. John writes in his first letter about how we as the followers of Christ, in John 1, 6 and 7, he says we're to be walking in the light as he is in the light. And that when we step into the darkness, we've got to acknowledge that we have stepped into sin and darkness or we're deceiving ourselves. Then he goes on to say in verses eight and nine, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say, no, no, I haven't really stepped into darkness, that's pretty good compared to those other people and we redefine it, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The word confess is not that we have to beg God. No, God continually forgives his children because of his faithfulness and his being just. What confess is, it means we agree with God. The word literally means to say the same thing as. So when I step in the darkness, I say, yes, God, I agree with you, that is sin. I confess it to you. I name that as sin. We have to see sin as sin if we're gonna get serious about our own sin. The Holy Spirit that God has placed in us is there to convict us of sin. He points out when our attitude is off. We say a word that's harsh to someone in our family. We, do, we just bend the rules a little or cheat a little on our taxes or in the business books or, or we pro, uh, project some arrogance and pride toward others. And the Holy Spirit says, It's not what you should be about. That doesn't represent Jesus well. That is sin. You stepped into the darkness. And when the Holy Spirit tells us that sin, we need to agree with him, that is sin, confess it, get rid of it, and move forward. The step, step one in getting serious about our sin is seeing sin as sin. Secondly, step two is removing any traces of sin. Removing any traces of sin whatsoever. Getting rid of them, he says. Get it out of your life. Leave no room for it whatsoever. Colossians 3, 5, and 6, Paul said to the Colossian church, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Put it off. Put it off. Most of us are familiar with the story of how God called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt to the promised land. They left in their great journey. And as they left, there'd been these 10 plagues. And, and, and God uh, said to Moses, tell the Egyptians to give you all of their gold and jewelry as you leave. And after the plagues, they were willing to give all that to, to the Israelites. And they left. And then there was the Red Sea crossing. And two months after they left Egypt, they get to the base of Mount Sinai. And God is going to meet them there. God calls Moses up to the top of Mount Sinai. For 40 days and 40 nights, Moses is there meeting with God in this great cloud that hovers on top of the mountain while the people of Israel are gathered and camped at the base of the mountain. And God gives to Moses the ceremonial, civil, and moral law, including the Ten Commandments. And while Moses is up there, the people begin to get antsy that he's gone, that he disappeared in that cloud, and and they get anxious, and they say to his brother Aaron, you know, well, we don't know what happened to that fellow Moses, but we need a God to lead us. And so they gathered all the gold that they'd taken from Egypt, they put it all together, and Aaron put it into the fire, and then they shaped a, a golden calf, this idol, and deuteronomy excuse me exodus chapter 32 says that they began to dance around it they called it the lord jehovah they were involved in all kinds of immorality they said this is the god that brought us out of bondage this is the god we worship and at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights god tells moses you better get down there The people are caught up in great wickedness. Moses gets down there and he finds this mess, how they've turned their hearts from the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they've turned to this golden statue. He confronts Aaron, and I love Aaron's response. He says, well, they were nervous. You weren't here, and and we didn't know what to do, so they gave me this gold. I just threw it in the fire, and out popped this golden calf. He's not willing to call sin, sin. Do you remember what Moses does? to get rid of the sin of idolatry in the camp? He takes the statue, grinds it up into dust so it's gold powder, and he puts it in the water. Why? Well, by putting it in the water, he makes it so that they consume it, it goes into all their bodies, and then eventually it passes through their bodies. And if any of them wanna try to gather that gold, what do they gotta do? it's impossible. All that gold is still out there somewhere. He made sure that they could never fashion that gold into an idol again. He made sure that they removed that, got rid of that from their lives. And that same attitude and spirit is the spirit we need to have when it comes to our sinful attitudes, our sinful behavior, our sinful relationships. The words that shouldn't be uttered from the mouth of a follower of Christ. How do we get rid of that stuff? We gotta be serious. We call sin, sin, and remove any trace, whether it's the little impurity or the most prevalent evil. Some of us worry so much about it in our culture, in our world, and I tell you, if the followers of Jesus Christ would get serious about the sin in our own lives. Our lives would be so changed. It'd change our families. It'd change our neighborhoods. It would be infectious. It would change our communities, our nation, and our world. But we have to get serious about sin. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been whispering to you already about some sin in your life. Saying, look at the language you use. Look at some of the business practices that aren't quite right. That relationship you have. It's time to Get rid of any trace of that sin, like Moses did in destroying that idol and having them drink the gold dust in the water. Maybe you need to, right now, text that person that you've got a relationship with that's inappropriate and wrong and immoral and just say, it's over. Maybe you need to sit down and and admit to yourself and admit to others that you're struggling with that addiction, that you need help. Maybe you need to determine now that you're not going to use those words anymore and find someone to hold you accountable. Maybe you need to make sure you're in a a small group where you can be honest with people and ask them to help you in your journey. Maybe you're in places on the internet that you shouldn't be and you need to get some software like something like Covenant Eyes or something where you can hold yourself accountable to others and, and, and make sure you're not wandering into places that are bringing pockets of impurity and even evil into your heart and life. One of the things that has to happen for us to be happy people is we have to take sin seriously. And you say, well, I'll, I'll do that sometime. Maybe, maybe I'll work on that next week. I'm kind of busy. We'll work on that next month. I, our nation this weekend recognizes the impact of Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights leader. And I love this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He said, the time is always right to do what is right. It's now. Don't wait for it to fit your calendar. Get serious about your own sin. That is core to being a happy person. Happy people are serious about their own sin. Secondly, happy people are serious about God's word. They're serious about the Bible. God's word is a living, God-breathed book. It's different than any other book. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God and works on our hearts to convict us of sin, but also to convince us of what is right. God reveals himself and who he is in the pages of the scriptures. Jesus Christ, the living word, the living reflection of who God is, our example of what it means to live and love in this world in a way that honors God. He reveals to us God, but the way we know who Jesus is is through the scriptures. It's not me sitting around saying, well, this is what I think Jesus is, and you saying, no, this is what I think Jesus is. We go to God's word. So just as we need to take our own sin seriously, we need to take God's word seriously. We need to take it seriously. There are three steps taking God's word seriously. The first is found in the last half of verse 21. It's that we've got to embrace it. We've got to embrace it. We receive it. We accept it. We, we hold on to it. We believe it. We take it in. We've got to embrace it. Notice the last part of verse 21. It says here, humbly accept the word planted in you, the word of God, which can save you. The word humbly is used 12 times in the New Testament. The other 10 times are used outside the book of James, twice in the book of James. The other 10 times it's translated into English, gentle or gentleness. In James' case, he's using it in the, terms of being humble but it speaks of a submissive gentle humble spirit where we say okay God I want to hear from you I want to know your perspective since you designed me and you know what will be fulfilling for me since you are not only my creator but my redeemer I want my life to be in alignment with you and you receive the word of God humbly and it is the word of God that brings us the gospel. I didn't wake up one day and read John 3.16 in the clouds. Someone opened the word of God and shared it with me. My, my parents shared the word of God with me early on. I heard the hope of the gospel early on as a child. I had other people in, in my local church, just like our children's ministry uh, staff and volunteers here, open the word of God for kids. Ephesians Ephesians 1.13 says, You were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What's the gospel of our salvation? Well, it has some bad news. We're all sinners before God and need a Savior. And we can't save ourselves no matter how good or how religious we get. Good news is God knows that. He loves us. He sent Jesus. Jesus died, was buried, and he conquered the grave. The grave is still empty today because of his victory. He took our punishment. He conquered death for us. And the good news is when we put our faith in Christ, and Christ alone, it is his finished work that can make us right with God and give us forgiveness with him. Nothing that we do. And we come to that place where we humbly and gently accept the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We receive Christ as our savior. God saves us and makes us his children. His word is planted in us. I know I've come to that place where I've received the good news of Jesus Christ. Have you? If not, the bad news is still true of you and the good news is not yet true of you. But today you can put your faith in Jesus and be forgiven and know God. Today you can rest in him for your eternal life and your eternal home and to be his child. Would you put your faith in Jesus today? Trust him. If today's the day you're trusting Christ or maybe recently you put your faith in Christ, we'd love to celebrate that with you and to walk forward with you in this journey of faith. If you just text the name Jesus to the number that's below me on the screen, the name Jesus to that number, we'll, we'll contact you, we'll follow up with you just to help you, encourage you, and to walk with you as you walk forward in your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here in the room on our campus, we'll have a care team member down front and they'll socially distance from you as you come down, but they can pray with you, answer questions, celebrate with you that today you came to Jesus. If you're... Uh, joining us online for the service. At the end of the service, there'll be a number that you can reach a pastor on call at any time. You can pray with them. Uh, ask them questions about what it means to receive the message of God's word, the gospel. We want to make sure that you know Christ. And notice it says the word of God then is planted in us. As Ephesians 1 says, it's put inside of us and then it's the spirit of God who keeps pointing us to his word and helping us see our lives in comparison to his word as we embrace it. Let's get serious about God's word. Embrace it. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We have to humbly, gently, submissively allow God's word into our lives. Secondly, we have to hear it, not just embrace it and say, I know it's God's word, I know it's good for me. Then we gotta listen to it, we gotta read it. We have a Bible reading plan available on our website. There's several of them. If you go to our website you look for the Bible reading plans, there are several to choose from so you can be in God's Word daily. I've been writing the Take Five devotionals for almost a year now. And uh, even during my six weeks of sickness, I only had to kind of recycle six old ones. And those were the days I was in the hospital mostly. Uh, but I'm continuing to write those. They're available on our website, so that you can daily open God's Word. You can hear some insights and hopefully some inspiration for your life in the things that I'm writing about that passage of Scripture. Right now, they're aligning with the Book of James to prepare your heart each week for the messages on the weekend. We've got to take in the Word of God. You're hearing me right now as we teach James 1:21-25. 1, 20, 1, That's a good thing. You're listening. You're hearing it. We need to read it for ourselves. Notice, he says in uh, verse uh, uh, 22 here, which is really the hinge verse of this whole passage, do not merely listen to the word. Now, the way in which this is written, listening to the word is commended. It's a good thing to listen to the word of God. But it's a bad thing if that's where you stop. But you have to hear it. You have to open it. You don't just say, oh yeah, I believe God's word is for me. Then you daily, regularly, and Worship services in small groups, listening online, listening to good teaching. You allow God's word into your life. You do it is the third thing. You do it. You embrace it. You hear it. You listen. You allow yourself to be exposed by it, but then you do it. You don't merely listen to it. You do it. The last part of verse 22 makes it really clear that we move beyond listening. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. That's the emphasis that this whole passage makes when it comes to how we respond to the word of God. You do what it says. You don't just listen. You put it into your life. You obey it. Then he gives this wonderful illustration in verses 23 and 24. I love this illustration. It's one of my favorite illustrations in the scriptures. If you look at verse 23, anyone who listens to the word, you listen right now, you read it in your own life, in small group or Bible study, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately and forgets what he looks like. Now, the word face here, this is one of the most complicated things I've ever tried to translate from the original because there's actually a word attached to face and it has the idea of first, beginning. So it's saying anyone who listens to the word of God but doesn't do what it says, is like someone who with their first beginning face, that means your early morning face. You know that face? You get out of bed, maybe on the way to the bathroom, you glance in the mirror, and you see your hair is standing up. You see a little drool stuck to the side of your face, little stuff in the corners of your eyes. You see the creases where the wrinkles on your pillow are still left on your face. And you look, and you say, oh, I'm going to have to make some adjustments here. We've gotten pretty you know, casual In with this Zoom world where we can look good from here up and then wear sweats and pajama bottoms and nobody cares, right? You can get pretty, when you're you're really sick and you've been in the hospital and you're trying to recover from a severe case of pneumonia, you can get pretty sloppy with how you look when you get up in the morning. For the first few weeks, I wore a ball cap when I got up. I mean, I'm just wearing sweats all the time, so now these, you know, wearing pants and shirts, it's so uncomfortable because I was so comfortable. But I got to the point that even last Sunday morning, I got up and our daughters were still with us, Katie and Megan, they, Katie's gone back to Chicago, Megan has gone back to Seattle and our son, John is in New York and they were still with us for a little bit and uh, I got up and I looked in the mirror, I saw what I looked like but I didn't really care, didn't even put a hat on, That's, I kinda got that way by being sick and, and I didn't pay attention, I forgot what I looked like, it didn't matter and I came downstairs and the girls laughed and took a picture of me and this is the picture that they took of me and shared with our whole family group, my hair standing straight up, you know, bedhead. That's what he's saying here. He's saying if you hear the word of God and you don't do it, it's like someone who has bedhead who looks in a mirror and then doesn't make any changes and goes on with their life. By the way, they saw this picture, and then they immediately came up with this picture and texted it to our group of Lewis from Meet the Robinsons, the character, and said, I look just like him. But the illustration James is saying is this. Who of us would get up and see that we need some correcting, wouldn't correct ourselves before we go out in public. That's why we use the mirror. And the Word of God is the mirror in which we see the image of Christ. And as we are in God's Word and we see who Christ is, then we see where our attitude is out of place. And the Holy Spirit says, there's a word you shouldn't be using. There's an attitude you had yesterday. There's a behavior pattern that is not appropriate for a follower of Christ. There's a relationship that is just wrong. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God as we are in it, as we embrace it, hear it, listen to it, then we're to do it, put it into action. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom now what is the perfect law that gives freedom it's the bible you see the lie satan has sold us is if you and the world is bought in this lie if you live according to the word of god you are shackled and your life will be miserable and you will be enslaved to drudgery but the god who made us knows how he wired us and when we live according to his perspective we have freedom We are free from the shackles of sin as we live more and more in alignment with what God says. This book is the perfect law of freedom. I like how he uses this phrase, whoever looks intently. That verb literally means to stoop over to look at something. It's to stop, stoop, stoop over, and study something. That's not just a, oh yeah, I heard Sean speak on, what was it, somewhere in James, and I don't know what that was about. Or you read your Bible and you go through the day and it never comes back into your mind. It's it's that we get serious about it. Matter of fact, the verb that's used here for looks intently is used in John 20 and verse five. John 20 and verse five, it's the place where The women have come to the disciples and said, hey, the tomb is empty. We saw Jesus. He is risen. And you remember in John 20, Peter and John race each other to the tomb. John gets there first, and it says that he looks into the tomb. It says he stooped over, John 20 and verse 5, and he looked in and studied the tomb. What's he studying? He wants to know, are there drag marks where somebody dragged out the body? Did the ladies miss something? Where, where, were, the, where were the things that were covering the body? What, what, what's going on here? How was the stone rolled away? He's studying everything. And he says, you can be like someone who gets up, glances in the mirror, sees what needs to change in your life. The Holy Spirit shows you what needs to change, and you go on. But that's a problem. You want real happiness? You get serious about God's words, what God's word says. You embrace it. You hear it. And then you do it. You look intently. You wanna say, what does God have to say about how I live my life, my relationships, how I live in this world? I told you that verse 22 is really the hinge verse to this passage. Well, look at verse 22 again. Do not merely listen to the word, right? And so deceive yourself. See, if you just listen to the Bible, you know what it says, but you don't do what it says. You deceive yourself. You buy the same old lie, and it didn't even take Satan to deceive you. You buy into the same old lie that how you live your life will satisfy you more than living your life the way God wants you to live your life. You want satisfaction? You want fulfillment in life? Stop chasing it in all the things of this world. Get serious about the sin in your own life. Get serious about God's word and living it out in your life as his child. Do what it says. When you believe your way of living life is better than God's way of living life, you deceive yourself and rob yourself of the happiness God wants for you. Are you deceiving yourself and robbing yourself of the happiness God wants for you? The only way to be content, satisfied, fulfilled, happy in life is by embracing, hearing, and doing what God says in his word. You wanna be satisfied, fulfilled, and happy? Then you get serious about embracing, listening to, and doing what God says in his word. One of the saddest things I ever hear from family members or friends or folks in the congregation, colleagues in ministry, is when someone says, I know what the Bible says, but, a lot of people have said that to me in the lobby over the years. People made appointments. They tell me what's going on in their life and they'll start the whole counseling session they've come for by saying, Pastor, I want you to know, I know what the Bible says, but... And then they expect me to somehow counsel them into, okay, whatever you want to do is fine. Do me a favor, don't say that phrase to me. Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but... Think about what we're saying as God's children. I know what God says in his word, but... And I can tell you what that but leads to. It leads to misery. You say, oh, but there was this fleeting excitement. There was this thrill. It fades. It fades. We live in a time where if, we, if we, were to, we were to orient our satisfaction and fulfillment to the circumstances that are going on, if you look at the politics, if you look at our world, you look at all the ways we've wrestled with COVID, all this different stuff, you can be overwhelmed and crushed. But we can be happy people in the midst of this with a simple, succinct, but profound happiness far beyond a yellow sugar cookie. A yellow smiley face. When we get serious about living our lives God's way. And happy people who are serious about living life God's way are serious about their own sin. They see sin as sin. They get rid of every trace of it in their lives. And they get serious about God's word. They embrace it. They listen to it. And then they do it. They do it. For some of you, this this putting off the, the sinful self and putting on the righteousness of Christ so the world can see Jesus in us, you understand that this is that spiritual journey. This is spiritual growth. This is theologically sanctification where we are further set apart from our sin and more set apart unto our God and his righteousness. Sometimes this journey is three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, two steps back, but it's moving forward. And maybe you've gotten stagnant in dealing with your own sin. Maybe you've gotten kind of bored with or stagnant when it comes to walking in obedience to God's word. You just today need to leave here saying, you know what? I'm going to get serious about the sin in my life. And I'm going to get serious about what God says to me in his word. And you need to begin to do it. Listen to the Spirit of God and let Him take the Word of God and transform your life from the inside out. It's taking those steps forward. Some people say to me, Oh, well, I've tried before, or boy, I, it'll take me years to be this way or that way. Take the next step, keep moving in the right direction. If you want satisfaction, happiness, joy, fulfillment in life that God has for you as His child, you want to be a happy person you got to get serious about your own sin and serious about God's word. I like how Martin Luther King Jr. talked about how we just keep pressing forward and I think it has a spiritual application as much as any application. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But by all means, keep moving. Keep getting rid of the sin in your life and keep embracing what God has to say to you and how you live your life. That's where happiness comes from. That's where the deepest of joy will come from. Are you a happy person? Are you a happy person? Or are you believing the lie that you can live the way you wanna live, have the attitude, the relationships, the behaviors, the thoughts that you wanna have as a child of God and you think that that can be satisfying? It can't. Life is only satisfying when we live it the way the God who created us and redeemed us intends for us to live it. That's how we can experience the deepest happiness mankind can ever know. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for the clarity in James 1, 21 to 25, and how we need to be serious about seeing life the way you see it, naming our sin when it's sin, and letting the Spirit of God speak to us when we're wrong, letting Him him convince us of continuing the things we're doing right, Father, may we understand that your word is that mirror and we need to look in and make the adjustments according to who you are and who your son is in, as he's revealed in, his, in your word. Father, we, we pray that you would help us to be the people in this world that make a difference. Not socially or economically or politically or any other way, but may we be the people who are salt in life because we are the happy people who live in alignment with our God and may people be able to see Jesus in us as we seek to live in love like him. Father, we pray for our nation even as we recognize the advancements by a leader like Martin Luther King Jr. We know there's much more for us to see every person made in the image of God. I pray that you would work that in our hearts and lives and show us places where we don't hold that standard high in our own minds and thoughts and behaviors. Father, we enter a week where there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of noise being made. And I pray that you would guide President Trump in these final days in office, that you'd guide President-elect Biden as his administration moves into those places of leadership. I pray that People would be surprised both in the response of those who supported Trump and Trump himself and also for the Biden administration, Lord, may as they look back and say, now why did we make that decision or why did this happen that way? And that that you would be weaving what you want to weave in your intentional purposes. And may we as your people not get bent out of shape if this or that doesn't go the way we anticipate or think it should. Even, Lord, help us to understand we've got to deal with the sin in our own lives and how we're obeying the word of God, that that will make a greater and longer impact than anything else we can do this week. May we be happy people, not approving everything that goes on in the world, but people who bring the hope of Christ to others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.